Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Atlas. They are gender fluid and is a founder of a clothing company that defies the binary. So they're here to talk about that, their life, and all the other fun things that they've got going on. So I am excited that she is here with us today. So Atlas, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hey, thanks for having me. My name is Atlas Growing. I'm the founder of Jupiter's Art. It's a sustainable clothing brand. We collaborate with artists to produce um, sustainable, wearable art. Um, And yeah, it defines the binary. We do not categorize by gender. We try to make things that any person of any gender expression could wear and feel good about. Um, I've been a dancer my whole life. I'm still a dancer and I draw a lot of my inspiration from dance community. Um, and yeah, that's me. So why is it that you started to get into the fashion business and why was it important for the brand to have the principles that it does? It's really an extension of me, my partner and my friend Kira. Um, so the founders are me Samik Risby, my partner, and Kira Kellinger, um, my friend. And it's really an extension of who we are and what we believe in and like what we wanted to create. Um, I had wanted to start a clothing brand for a long time, and then it just sort of like came together now. Um, and I don't mean it came together as in like it was easy, just that it had to happen now um, in the last few months. And, um, I've been really passionate about clothes for a really long time. And I always struggled to find clothes that I felt like actually expressed how I felt, what I wanted to look like, how I wanted to present. It's like, if I wanted to dress mask, like the clothes wouldn't fit on my big butt. You know, if I wanted to dress more femme, like I couldn't really find a lot of stuff that just felt like me. And then overall, it was hard to dress sustainably, you know, like, sure, you could thrift shop, but you're not going to find it in your size. Like, I'm kind of thick, so I don't find stuff in my size at thrift shops very much. Um, And I just know a lot of people are having these struggles, you know, like a lot of queer people and a lot of young people in general, like, they want to wear clothes that are interesting and cool and like dress sustainably, but not look like somebody's like aunt out on a hike, you know? So what does it mean for your clothing business to be sustainable? Well, all of the clothes are made from recycled or organic materials. Um, the inks are all Ecotech certified. Um, so they're like water-based and, um, all of the suppliers that we work with and basically like every point along the supply chain is um, committed to practices that are not damaging to the environment or to the people that work for them, the people that produce the things. So everyone is paid fairly. Yeah. And that's so important to have at the foundation of your business. Exactly. So you talked of course about, um, 
you know, kind of your own struggles to find, you know, clothing that is comfortable on your own body. So can you talk a little bit about your gender expression and how gender fluidity works for you? Yeah. So, um, growing up, like in my tweens, I was just like constantly like just trying to figure out like what kind of queer am I? And like, not to sound old because I'm not old. So like, I respect that, but like, I didn't have all of the options that like kids have now, you know, like those really started to surface, um, more in my twenties and stuff. And I was just like, okay, I'm a lesbian, but okay. Sometimes I feel like a boy, but like the boy part is straight because like he likes girls. But then like, I also have this like gay boy inside. And then also I'm a woman for sure. Like I identify as a woman. I, I experience the world as a woman um, and all these things. But then also like she's gay and like all of these parts of me are very gay. <laughs> um, and like, um, but also I could be attracted to anyone. And so it was just like this journey. And then when I was like 16, I was just like tired of trying to define it. So I, I defined it as intentionally undefined. Um, and that like really carried me for a while and I still identify as intentionally undefined. Um, but later we got more words for like gender fluid, pan gendered, pansexual. So I can also identify with those, but more as a way to like relate to other people who identify as those. Um, cause I'm still like rocking with intentionally undefined. Um, but yeah, it's like sometimes I'm femme, sometimes I'm mask, sometimes I'm both. And I just like, I really love the ability to like flow through those. Um, and just like clothes are like your shell, you know, your armor that when you go into the world, that's like the, what you're putting out. And some of my queer friends who are older than me and who I could look up to were like, it's your filter, you know, it's like, like, for example, one of them, he's a gay man. He presents as male, but like he would wear like a mask outfit, but throw some like heels in it or, you know, throw some makeup in it. And he'd be like, yeah, cause it just filters out the assholes, you know, like, and so a lot of like queer people around me, like really um, helped me define the importance of fashion in that way. And, um, I just like also felt like it's true. And then also it's just how I show up in like how I experience my body in the world. Like dance is my, like my first craft. So like movement is my, my first way of expressing myself. And it's like clothes for a dancer are like the kind of paint you use as a painter, you know, or like the color palette you'd get as a painter. Um, so it just like always felt really essential to have clothes that I like and that make me feel 
like who I feel like that day. But I would say more often than not, it was like I I wouldn't be wearing those things um, because I wouldn't be able to find them. Yeah. And so you, of course, like brought dancing into this. Yeah. So I feel like the perception of dancing is very feminine. So how has dancing throughout your life changed? Um, yeah, well, that is like, that concept is cultural, you know, like every form of dance and like every culture that those forms of dance arise out of has like a very different relationship with gender. Like the dance has a different relationship with gender. Um, but I like, I'm a hip hop dancer, contemporary jazz, ballet, and popping house. Like it, like my approach to dance has always come from like, learn the foundations and then express yourself however you want. And so I really just like kept gathering the foundations of different forms of dance and blending them together. So it's like, again, very fluid. I just feel like that's a part of my like personality or like who I am in this life is just like blending and like, um, making, making things fluid. Yeah. That, I mean, that completely makes sense. And I, I, I like how it's, it's, you know, how you've described it and how the fluidity is so important. Now you started a business with your friend and your partner. What has that been like? Um, it's been a lot of waves. Um, we started it. So like we were all on a weed farm trimming and it was terrible. Like we were actually moving around to different weed farms trimming and we were just like dealing with people like not paying, you know, just like mistreatment. It's all like illegal under the table and stuff. So they, they can do whatever they want. And the farms are just like very unethical and exploitive. Um, and so we were pissed off, you know, we're angry and we're broke, like struggling. And it just gave us the drive. I think that we needed to like double down and just like start this. So we were all probably working like, I think 70 hours a week, um, between like the trimming and working on Jupiter's art and, um, yeah, we were just hustling our asses off. Um, and it's actually been amazing the team because it's just helped me realize how you, a lot of times to make something happen, you need different personalities. Like I do the designing, um, Samic does the website. He does everything on the website. Um, and Kira does all of our communications and like community. Um, she's a community director. So she, she finds the artists that we're going to work with. And then I design the clothes with their art on it. Um, and then Samic creates 
the web, like the landing page for it. Um, and I just feel like if I was trying to do either one of their jobs, like I would lose my mind and I just feel very at home in my part of it. And I really just like appreciate having, um, having their, there's like everyone's zone of genius, just be where they can work. And, you know, it's also been hard at times, like working like that much, like literally just wake up, start working, keep going, don't stop work till 2am. You know, it was like really hard on Samak and I's relationship for a bit. Like we were fighting like crazy for a minute there, but um, after getting the business launched, we were able to like chill out a little bit more. And then it's been more of a balance of like how to keep all of our energy, the right amount of focused, um, and like how to stay balanced. And it is really like, we each have to be responsible for our own energy and balancing ourselves, but each of us affects each other so much. Right. And it sounds like, it's gotten to a point where like it works. Um, it's not the stress and hustle as it might've been when it first started. Yeah. Kind of like, <clears throat> it's not as much as like when we, yeah, first started. Um, but there is still stress and hustle because we're still new, you know, like we want to get to that point where it's not like that, like where it's running smoothly and, um, and you know, we just get to put the amount of energy that we want to put in and it's going to run no matter what. Um, but we're not at that point yet right now. It's still very much like how much time and energy we put into it is how much it grows. So, um, there's still a lot of that and we're still all like working other jobs, like you know, all of us are like on a bunch of hustles and stuff. So like the, the biggest challenge for us right now is like, oh, we're building this thing and we know where it's going to go. And we want to be able to spend all of our time and energy on that thing. That's going to like take us where we want to go, but we have bills, we have these things. So right now, like we still just need to work on this thing that maybe isn't taking us anywhere except for just like paying for some basic stuff. So it is that like weird balance because like none of us had like corporate jobs. Obviously we were trimming. None of us have like, you know, just something to fall back on. Like we're just like three people in our twenties. We don't have like venture capital funding or anything like that. Um, but it's just like a lot of like trial and error too. Like we make mistakes but, um, we're just like really putting our hearts into it. So. And what is the long-term goal for Jupiter's art? Um, we want to be like the brand that really disrupts and challenges the fashion industry. You know, we want to be like the go-to brand for people who want sustainable, bold, creative, interesting clothing. We want to be the ones that challenged the way that fashion follows the binary and the way that fashion destroys the planet and communities 
And we just want to show the world that like, you can dress cool without that happening. You know, like you can wear dope stuff without it having harmed anyone. So yeah. And we want to like uplift a lot of artists too. And like really just generate a lot of abundance for artists. Um, and so that's like how, that's like the goal of how we want it to impact the world. And then like our own goals also is like, we want to get to the place where we can produce all of our own stuff. Like we would love to have like our own factory, um, where we like top to bottom design everything and make everything ourselves. And, um, and just like keep pushing further on everything, you know, like get to the place where we can like really experiment and push the boundaries on what is possible in like streetwear and athleisure, you know, like, like stuff that people wear every day, like how far can we, how much can we like dismantle like oppressive systems within just like clothes that people wear every day. And do you find that there are other places where the binary is being challenged in the fashion industry? Yes, but I feel like it's all very safe. Like, I feel like, you know, the big players like Vogue and fashion weeks and stuff, I feel like they, they utilize a very small percentage, but they use what has been done by queer people as queer people have been like their, their lives have been threatened for this. They've been excommunicated from their families for this. They've been homeless for this. They've been, you know, killed for this. And they continue to push the boundaries and continue to say, no, this is who I am. I'm going to be authentic. Even if my, even if my light is life is threatened for that. Right. Um, and that work is really what dismantles the binary because the binary like depends on people, like, like on queer people not existing in freedom. And I feel like the big players in fashion, once all these lives have been dedicated, have been lost for the ability to just be authentically them, they replicate it. Once all that work has been done to the point where it's socially acceptable enough, but it's still not socially acceptable enough that it won't cause some controversy, get some publicity. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you know, like a good example is like Harry Styles wearing a dress on Vogue. And it's like, like that really shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal that a dude wears a dress. But it's a big enough deal that they can get some publicity for it. But Harry Styles wasn't really the one out there, like, being threatened because of that, you know? Like, to live authentically. So, 
I think there, there, and then there's other brands like us that are small and like really doing it from an authentic place. And I think I congratulate all of them. And I, I want us all to like move in a direction where people can safely express themselves. And if like Harry Styles wearing a dress on Vogue, like helps that, then I'm still here for it. But I just feel like credit needs to be given where it's due. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, finding kind of that right balance of authenticity versus controversy versus like what should just be able to be right. Like so many people, their, their existence is controversial and they didn't ask for that. That's just how they were born. So did you find that your existence has been controversial? Honestly, not that much because like, I'm very privileged in my queerness. I'm white. I am like, I don't identify as trans. Like I, I don't have the same struggles as what trans people have. Um, and, and in being gender fluid, like I am comfortable being perceived as a woman and as female, like I'm comfortable with that. Um, not always like I, I really appreciate when people acknowledge like the fluidity that I am authentically, um, and sure I've like brushed up on some things, but not to the extent that like, you know, my queer siblings of color experience, especially like visit, like people that are more visibly, um, non-binary or trans, they, I don't know, they just carry so much more for our community as a whole. And so I don't really, I, I don't feel like I can really claim that. Like I've still gotten, you know, a lot of questions like, are you a boy or a girl? Like at different points. Cause like, like now I have long hair, but especially like hair is a big deal with that and stuff. But not to the level where I could say that I feel like that's something that, um, that I've had to carry as much. And I think it's so important that like you're acknowledging where that is in within the queer community, um, to be able to understand like that, that different level of privilege and, unfortunately like what is quote unquote like socially acceptable yeah um, it's so interesting to and complex because the intersection of like queerness and the patriarchy and racism like amab people get more threats and shit for this than afab people because it's like if you were born female and you are expressing more masculine, then you are like, quote unquote, moving up. Right. Even though you're not really, but like, but there's so much less to be questioned of why would you be more masculine? It's like, yeah, you know, but when you're born male and you're presenting more feminine, like, you know, they get so much more shit and, 
I don't know, but I feel like they also like, they carry a lot that over the generations, like, you know, all queers really, but like, especially the queers that have gotten the most shit, like they've paved the way for a lot of the freedom and acceptance that I've been able to enjoy as a millennial, like as a zillennial, I guess you would say. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just like, I also want to like pay homage to them while also paving the way more for the generations to come. Like, I hope that I can have some amount of impact that makes it even easier for the, for the kids who come after us. Well, and as you were growing up and as I was growing up and even as like the parents, like our parents' generations were going up, like tomboy was a word that was used and really probably maybe was looked down in some points it was looked down upon, but really it wasn't an issue. Right. Right. Yeah. And I grew up in a very like conservative, small town. Um, in Northeast Oregon. Um, and yeah, I feel like my queerness as an AFAB person just was not rained down upon as much as the AMAB people in the town, you know, like in high school, like we did lose one of our only out gay boy classmates to suicide. It was tragic. It was like, I'm, I'm not going to like talk too much on that because like a movie was made about his family and about him and stuff. So I don't know, people might like know who it is. Um, so I don't want to like say who he is or anything, but it's like, so that was still super, super real. And I know that still is super real. Um, and it was for me and like the people around me, um, the amount of homophobia and, you know, transphobia and just, it was super present, but I just feel like the way that like lesbianism also can just be like bastardized under the male gaze. It's like, there, there's just not as much like threat that comes as like a white queer AFAB person, mm-hmm. even under the same homophobic environment. Now you've obviously like surrounded the people closest to you aren't homophobic, aren't transphobic. Like you're surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah. Uh, out, outside of your bubble of people, um, are you in an area that is still homophobic? Um, no, I'm like, well, right now I'm in Portland and they're like too woke to function. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I've traveled a lot and definitely, um, yeah, like I, I met my partner in India. He's from India and, um, I traveled there and I got asked constantly if I was a boy or a girl there. I shaved my head and like, I don't know, I guess I, I dressed like yeah, fluidly. Um, so some days more femme, some days more masculine. Constantly I got asked if I was a boy or a girl, but it was so funny because I would just be like, whatever you think, you know. 
whatever you think. And they'd be so confused. I'm like, that doesn't offend me. Like, I know some people are offended by that and it's totally valid to be offended by it. But like, it gave me almost like a gender euphoria to be like, asked that like, oh, you really don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I've experienced that in like different countries and then, you know, and then also been in places where I felt pleasantly surprised. Like, um, I lived in Vietnam for a year and a half with my partner and like, I really can't like say too much on it. Cause I never really fully understood like the complexities of that, but we found a lot of queer community in Hanoi and like a lot of queer people that were just like very well respected. Um, and that was really refreshing. It felt like felt better than a lot of places in the States. Um, yeah. <laughs> Outside of the States, during your travels, did you experience any phobias? Mostly just sexism. Yeah. Yeah, mostly just, you know, a lot of misogyny, which I think is rampant most places. But yeah, again, Vietnam, I it was the least for me. Vietnam mm-hmm. was like the safest place I felt as a woman. Um, yeah, but everywhere else I've been, states included, and like every city I've lived in the states, it's like, oh yeah, good old misogyny doesn't quit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate truth, uh, in the current state of the world. Yeah. So what was it like, um meeting your partner in India and then, you know, living in Vietnam and you now, you know, you're back in Oregon. Um, well, yeah, like we didn't intend to be like back in Oregon. We actually just, um, we came to visit and then the pandemic happened. Um, so that was like, okay, you know, and then, you know, back in like early 2020, nobody knew how long it would be. So it's like, okay, we're visiting my mom. We'll stay here for a minute. She was like, we were like about to book a flight to Mexico because we like wanted to go to Mexico. And I was working online at the time. So it was chill. And my mom calls like right as we're about to push by. And she's like, don't leave. There's going to be lockdowns everywhere. It's going to be crazy. Needless to say, six months in, I was like, I would so much rather be in Mexico during this lockdown. <laughs> like, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, and that's obviously like, <laughs> that's also super privileged and like incorrect for a lot of people who were in Mexico is like some of my friends there told me it was really bad. Um, but yeah, I just felt like any place but my mom's house would have been better. <laughs> um but yeah so like I don't know life has just continued to like keep us around Oregon but Portland's cool I've always loved Portland so I'm okay with it um but I feel like coming home is like always a very intense reverse culture shock (laughs) right and is your partner okay with now being kind of stuck in Oregon Um, yeah, he's like more into it. I would say it's easier to be more into it when you're not from there. Um, you know, and 
he loves Portland and we're kind of like, you know, we traveled, we met four years ago. So we've been traveling for like about three years. And like, we always wanted to, well, I guess two years. Yeah. We always wanted to like have a home base, you know, we'd be sick of traveling a little bit, not sick of traveling, but just like so tired from traveling. Cause it's like, a lot of times when you travel and it's like, oh, and then you're out of money and then like you're in this place and you don't know what to do and your bike breaks down and you're on the border and it's like, it takes so much energy. So it's like, if you want to build something, you might need to stay somewhere um, and put the same energy into something else. So he's kind of like more excited about it to have like a home base. Um, But we still are getting like the itchy feet and want to go somewhere. Do you have any plans to travel? Um, not really. I I feel like plans are really fruitless. Like whenever I try to make one, something completely different happens. So I'm just like waiting until it actually makes sense to make one. <laughs> I I mean, in these times, that's probably not the worst idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I actually was. I tried to go to India with Samik in December. He went um, to India to visit and I was supposed to go and I lost my passport. And then I was trying to get an emergency passport to go. And it was like, you have to buy a flight, then get an emergency passport, then get a COVID test within like 42 hours, I think before the flight. And it just like was not happening. And then, um, I was like my best friend who I was visiting on the way, like her roommate got COVID and it was just like, no girl, like you're staying in Portland. There's, there's nothing. And that's like how I landed in Portland this time. And that's just what I feel like my life always is. It's like takes all these twists and turns and I just like try to go with it and like make the best of it. But then I also am like, I very fiercely like hold on to my, my dreams and goals. So it's like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, just like riding the waves, trying to build this business. <laughs> so now, not that you've like outwardly mentioned it while we we're recording, but you have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how does having like as the dog a, a recent acquisition? I guess you could call it um, since the pandemic. She has quite a story. So, like, we adopted her in Vietnam. Um. I've always like grown up with dogs. I always loved dogs. And then, um, in Vietnam, there's like, there's a lot of dogs that, uh, need a better situation. Um, and we found her at a shelter and she's paralyzed. We don't know what happened to her. She's paralyzed from like, I don't think dogs have waist, but like waist down is the best thing I could say. Um, and so, yeah, we adopted her there and it's she's traveled five countries. Yeah, she she's been more places than most people I know. Um and she is such a baller. We joke that she probably has like offshore accounts and doesn't share with us. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but she's just like a trooper. She's just the strongest like little person I've ever met. So, um yeah, she's really cute. She's a pug. And I just got her here by like getting her registered as an emotional support animal. 
and then she was like able to fly with me. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of times like logistically moving her around has been like very crazy, um, or just like challenging, but it's always worked out. Like we took her from Vietnam to Cambodia and we had to like sneak her on the train. And then when we crossed the border, um, we had done all this stuff to get her like legit to be able to cross the border, had gotten her like tests and papers and all these things. And then we crossed the border and they're just like, give us five bucks. And we're like, <laughs> okay, for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's good to hear that it has all worked out and you didn't, you know, rescue this dog from Vietnam and then have a situation um, where she couldn't keep coming with you. Yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't let that happen. Like we've completely canceled trips if she couldn't come because like, I don't know, to me, it's just like she deserves a family that's forever, you know, like she doesn't deserve somebody to be like, Oh yeah, I'll take this dog. Cause she's paralyzed and I'm so cool. Right. Like she deserves like a family. So, and she is our family. Like she, she brings us so much joy too. Um, but like she could be a pain in the ass too, but it's like, I'm not going to just like leave her in a different country. Cause of that. nobody else would take care of her anyway. Like she's, paralyzed she's hard to take care of and like when we adopted her they were like over the moon because they were just like well we thought she would die in here um because like it's just i don't know people just don't really see like the value in a paralyzed dog much there because she would like not be worth any money and i don't know it's a whole like thing but yeah well, you were there to get her, and now she's in a much better place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's chilling. She, like, is very demanding. <laughs> yes, I, I'm glad that she has remained calm uh, for the bulk of the recording. <laughs> yeah, I know. If if I didn't, like, let her sleep, like, right here, she wouldn't be. She would be screaming at me. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I have any more specific questions before I start to wrap things up. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners about yourself, about your business? Um, no, just like go check us out, you know? <laughs> yes. And I, I, of course, can leave um, information for, for you and for the business in the description of this episode. Yeah. N- now, with every guest at the end of the episodes, I do always ask a random question. My question for you is, if you could create a new holiday, what would you create? Ooh, I've never thought about that before. Um, would it ha- would it be like an international holiday, national? I mean, that can be up to you. If you want it to be international, if you just want it to be national. Um, okay. I feel like... I know that 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 would affect the answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, because I'm just thinking about how many, like, holidays that each country has that, like, nobody else does anything for. I feel like I would create a day where it was, like, the thing to do to stay in bed all day. 
I feel like that's something that I like really enjoy doing staying in bed all day and I just want it normalized more. Um, you know, like a rest day and it's like people could do it up, you know. I know that like if it was an American holiday and people took it seriously, it would be like very dramatic, you know, like people would like buy TVs, I don't know, and like get snacks and like really stay in bed all day. Um, and it should be like paid for everyone, you know. Every single person should get paid that day. Um, but it also makes me think that there's a lot of people that don't have beds. So I would like it to be like a two-part holiday where, you know, like maybe we get like a bed day eve. And on bed day eve, it's like tradition to actually like help get people housing, you know? Um, so I would have to think about that more, but you got me thinking now. I don't know if I could create this, I would. (laughs) All right. That brings this episode to a close. As I mentioned, I will of course be leaving a link to the website for Atlas's business, Jupiter's art. And I will also be leaving their social media handle, which is their name, just Atlas growing. Uh, most active on TikTok, but also on Instagram and Clubhouse. And of course, the podcast website will be in the description as always. So that provides you links to our social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And there's also a link to a website to donate monetarily if you're interested in doing that. And of course, my email's there. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much, Atlas, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Thanks, Sarah.